Well, uh, good morning, everybody. It's good to be here in Bandy. Mm. Some of us got here by bus. Some of us rode on bikes. How about that? Some cars. Um, this morning, uh, it's a second in a, we're doing a series on the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 8, and uh, I'm just really excited about this uh, series, and uh, I'm going to begin uh, by reading the Bible passage. It's from Romans 8, and I'm going to start at just chapter, uh, verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also Share in his glory. Uh, let's pray. Father, we want to give you thanks uh, for your word, and particularly we love the way that your spirit brings your word to life. And we pray that this morning that we would, yes, uh, receive knowledge, but Father, far deeper than that, you would take that knowledge by your spirit and apply it to our hearts, to our lives, that you will unearth, that you will convict that you will uh, bring uh, your knowledge of righteousness and judgment all through your son, Jesus. And I pray this in his name. Amen. Last week we looked at the first part of uh, Romans chapter 8 and we saw the work of the Holy Spirit as he brings about salvation and then he maintains salvation. Remember that? He brings you salvation and he maintains it. And that's good news. Because if you're such a person that stuffs up occasionally, and I'm looking around the room and I can see, yep, yeah, that fits most of you, um, then it's good to know that the Holy Spirit keeps bringing us the word of the cross and keeps driving us from sin and drives us to live in the character of God. And, and then we go on to this great passage, which I think, you, can, you know, Romans 8, just such a, oh, it's just so good. But so is the rest of the Bible, that's all right. But it's just so good. And this passage tells us about the gift of adoption. We're adopted into a new family. And that it's, this comes as a revelation by the Spirit. Now I'm hoping that we're going to get this. Uh, did anybody like Cheap Trick, the band? Cheap Trick, you've heard of them? They sung a song back in the 70s. Yeah, I want you to want me. I want you to want me. Yep. I need you to need me. Yep. Sorry about the vocals. I'd love you to love me. He's singing to his girl. Yeah. And then he says the things he's going to do to impress her. He's going to shine up his old brown shoes, put on a brand new shirt. I'll get home early from work if you say that you love me. Wow, he's putting it all on, isn't he? Yep, we love that song. Okay, basically, the writer of this song is needy. Is that is that what the word is? Needy? Yeah. What what does what does the word needy mean to you? Someone's needy. They're insecure. They're in need of what? 
There's some sort of emotional fulfilment. I'm talking about emotional fulfilment today. Very manly topic. No, it is a manly topic because uh, men really need it. That somehow there is a, this thing in us which says, I want to be wanted. I need to be needed. I, I, I just I want you to say, love me. You see the tennis players, right? And they do a good point and everyone is like, yeah. And they, and they go, come on, come on, give me some love. And then the crowd gets, yeah, really gets clapping. You've seen that? Yeah, it's like, it's like saying, uh, if I said to Jodie, Jodie, say you love me. And she says, I love you. And I go, yeah, that's better. Um, <laughs> like, is that real? Yeah, they weren't really clapping for me. They were thinking more about their popcorn than clapping for the tennis players. But you, uh, you understand, we, we need that. I'm somebody, I'm loved, I'm, I'm valuable because we're insecure. We live in an age where people have many emotional needs. They are, have a, a confused identity, and we do hear a lot about that, confused identity. So, therefore, people need labels to say who they are. I'm a meat eater. Actually, they don't normally say that, but I'm trying to... Yep. That defines me. I am heterosexual. Mm -hmm. I define myself as a male. I am a pastor. And all of those things, do you know, actually, they're kind of not who I am. They might be little things, a few random bits of information about me, but... It is not my identity to be heterosexual. Do you, do you understand? Otherwise, sorry, to, my needs to be my needs need to be met by having heterosexual sex. And if I and if I'm not doing that or thinking about that, then my identity is. Do you understand? You, you know that we put our identity in a whole lot of things. And, and you know when it's going wrong, when this, if you were to take that thing away, all of a sudden I would feel like a nobody. Uh, if, if, if I am brilliant in my mind uh, and I lose my ability to think, then I would think I'm a nobody. If I'm brilliant with my body and you take away that ability and then I would think I'm a nobody. If I'm brilliant with, with the work that I do, with the farm that I own, with whatever, whatever it is, if you were to take that away, and then you would think you're a nobody, you can see your identity is wrapped up in something it shouldn't be. Which means that's the bit about, I need you to need me. If I don't have somebody who needs me, I feel like I'm a nothing. Actually, I need you to need me is idolatry. You're putting yourself in the place of God. God, God, is, God says, I, I love you. I want you, yes, I want you. He calls us. He brings us into his family. But he doesn't say, I really need you. (laughs) Does he? We love to be needed. The world can't do without me. Yeah, that's idolatry. Church leaders are great at it. I don't know how God would get on without me. He'd basically, he'd just, the church would just fall to bits, wouldn't it? Okay, now all of that is kind of just walking around in a little topic and I hope you get what I'm saying. Just give me a nod if you're with me. Yeah. 
There is something deep in us which, which cries out for an identity, which cries out for some sort of worth, which cries out to be loved. And I can tell you this, that, rev- that will only be met with any fullness when you have a revelation that God's your Father. That's a big statement, isn't it? Without knowing God is your Father, you always be confused about identity and so on. Do you know that God, we've been in Romans 8 for a while and we went through that passage where it says he called and he, those he called, he predestined. Now people don't like predestination, that God would get to choose. So if God didn't get to choose, we get to choose him. But what an amazing thing. Can you get this? When you was a scoundrel, when you were fighting against God, he chose you and he said, I love you. How awesome is that? Yeah. Or do we want to wait for us to go, yeah, oh, yeah it's because we love you. No. He, he reaches down to all us in all, and he says, I love you. And we do need him, by the way. Yep. I just say this. We're all needy people. We all need him. And we need to not just know, we need to experience him as Father. And the Spirit brings to us this incredibly great revelation. Because actually, if we were to talk about, you know sometimes people talk about dysfunctional families. All of us come from dysfunctional families, don't we? There's some, always some level of dysfunction. If you compare, if, if sorry, if you compare, if you compare the fatherhood or the leadership of a family to the fatherhood of God, all our families are dysfunctional. Because God is the great Father, and some things in your family are a little bit like God's fatherhood, but our families are nothing like Him. He is incredible in His fatherhood. It is rich. And it is wonderful and life-giving. Okay, with that in mind, what we're going to do is, I've walked around the topic a bit, we're going to go through the Bible passage and then we're going to talk about that for a while again. Just, it's kind of like, you know, a cat that comes in on its mat. It's on the mat and then it walks around in it for a while and then it sits down. We're, so first we're going to go through it, then we're going to walk around it, then we're going to sit down. <laughs> okay, Romans 8.15 says this, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you will live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. The spirit destroys our slavery to fear. Now, are we talking about fear of spiders here? No, not really. We actually... You notice that the fear that is dissolved... Is, comes about by knowing that we've been adopted into a family. The fear of being familyless. The fear of being alone. That's a great fear, isn't it? The fear of being worthless. Because when you're alone, you, you actually, you've got to question who you are. What, what are you worth? Because there's something about relational glory that God's made that makes us worth something when we're relating to other people, even if it's by text message. Do we have meaning 
outside of relationships. Our greatest fears, I think, are about relationships, about rejection. Um, And here we see we are adopted into God's family, the Father's family, by the Holy Spirit. And that melts our fears. How great a revelation is that? You are adopted into the Father's family. Hmm. And it's not just you. There's a church. The Father's family is a church, isn't it? It's corporate, straight away. We are brothers and sisters. Yep. Brought into the Father's family so that our relationships with each other are lived out the way that Jesus lived out his, as, as a son of God we're brought in to sonship or childrenhood or however you want to describe it we are brought in to a relationship with one another by the Holy Spirit and we love each other as Jesus loved us well you go oh I don't know if that's my experience of the church well that is the church that's the church that the Holy Spirit's moving in. And you see, what happens is when we try and live as the family of God without the Holy Spirit, then the church gets, gets a bit, uh, what's, I don't know, cranky, a bit funny. But when we walk by the Spirit, as we walk by faith, that is, as the Spirit leads us in forgiveness, He, he, he unites people, He brings love, that we can't do ourselves. You can't love one another without the work of the Holy Spirit. You can't do it. But as God comes into your heart, you can truly love other people in the family, in the family of God. And you see, what happens is it, we, when we are insecure, when we are needy, what we start to do is build our own image to build ourselves into something, that, that idolatry I spoke of, and, and then when that comes into the church, we start building some sort of a kingdom or some sort of a theory or some sort of a, a thing about what it should be of ourselves. But you see, the church is not actually a human community. It is the Father gathering his children through the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit to himself. So it's an incredible, mysterious community, but it is... A miracle. Church is a miracle. And as we live in that, then we don't become those who build our own kingdoms or who say, I need my, I need my needs met by the church. Little problem there. And needs are met by God. If, I need my needs, if my needs need to be met by the church, then they need to be, I'll tell you what my needs are. And if the church is not doing that, then that's not the church. Do you understand? That's the problem with idolatry. It it splits us. Whereas you see, God knows what our needs are and he fulfills them by his spirit. But the primary need we need to to unite us together is God as our father. When you constantly look to God as our father and you see what he's done through his son and the forgiveness, then we can be 
we can be moulded together and we can forgive one another as he's forgiven us. And we can show grace as he shows grace for us. And we can live all it is to be in the mind of Christ. This is called what Paul calls the unity of the Spirit. It's the unity that the Spirit makes. And it is a great blessing. Okay. So we're built into this family. We're called into this family. The church is a wonderful community. Don't bag the church. Okay? Uh, where are we up to? The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Abba is a word for father which is still used in, in some countries in the world. Um, but what is he, what is he that use, that's what Jesus called God Abba. It's like a, a deep cry, a connecting cry to God. It's, it's like, um, uh, I, I know I've described it before, as when a child runs to uh, their, their uh, dad's arms when they're afraid and cries Abba. Well, they don't cry that, but what, whatever they cry. Um, but you see the word, it says the spirit cries out within us. We don't actually even have the ability to cry to God as Father. We would never know it. We would never believe it. Maybe we could have a mental knowledge. You could read a book on it. But we would never know it unless the Holy Spirit within us cries out deeply, Father. Yep. The word cry out there, it didn't just say the Spirit says to us, Father, or the Spirit says within his Father. It's a cry out, same words used when Jesus cried out on the cross in a loud voice. Uh, it might be that, you remember um, um, when Jesus has gone into Jerusalem and everybody's crying out Hosanna and the Pharisees say, stop, this is bad news. And Jesus said, you know, if they stop, even the rocks would cry out. And the word cry out means it's kind of got, say it with some meaning, fellas. Say it with a bit of emotion. Say it with a bit of gut. No, Hosanna. No, it's not that. You see, what the, say it with some conviction, with some emotion. A bit like when a, a, a child is hurt and says, uh, I'm really badly hurt, mummy. That's not how they say it, is it? Mummy, what are we looking at? Okay. Um, that's not how they cry out. I'm not going to do the cry, mummy. But there's a bit of emotion in it, yeah? The spirit cries out in the depths of our being. Father, Abba, my greatest need is you. But along with that cry is... I know you can fulfil my greatest need. I know you can give me what I need. I know you are there. Who are you? You are the one who called me, who predestined me, who justified me and who glorified me. You are the one I can rely on. You know, This is God, our Father. Gee, I hope you can hear this. Because this is the most freeing truth we can ever know. 
God is our Father. And when we know this, we can live in freedom. And we're not propping up our little towers and our kingdoms and everything else. We are just living. And, we're not, and our needs are not met in something which can be taken from us. I can take away my mental ability. Or well, it may happen. I might become a geriatric, uh, what do you call it? Uh, I might get dementia. You can take away my physical. Well, that's starting to happen. You can take away my possessions. But you can't take away God as my Father. And that is the one thing which will stretch beyond even know what we know as life through death and on into eternity, into his family. This is where we find ourselves. Verse 16 says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. The Spirit testifies or bears witness within us that we are God's children. Now, I don't know if you're from St. George, you were given homework last week. Anyone do it? Had to go home and read 1 Corinthians 2? Don't put up your hands. I know you all did. Um, and, and 1 Corinthians 2, go home and read it this week. It's fine. It's a great passage. The Holy Spirit searches the deep things of God, it says, brings them to us. The Spirit searches the heart and the mind of God in all his purposes and all his glory and brings that truth to us. The Holy Spirit enters into the heart of the Father and sees the Father's love and brings that truth to us. And we hear, I am loved by the Father. Can you see that? The Holy Spirit reaches in and sees what, the, what, the, what Jesus has done, the full forgiveness, hears the cry, it is finished, and then brings it, those deep things of God to our heart so that we don't just go, oh, yeah, Jesus said it is finished. We hear... It is finished. With regard to my salvation, I am forgiven. Can you see what the Holy Spirit does? He, he takes all the truth of God. He brings it to us, not just so that we know it, so that we know it. Don't get excited about this. This is boring. Okay? This is nothing. Just go off and think about COVID for a while. That'll, that'll sort you out. That's something life-giving and eternal. <laughs> yeah, right. If you can leave here today, don't think about COVID. It's a distraction. Yeah. What, what can COVID do when we know the eternal God who holds us in his hands all these days? You know, just, just know that. And in a minute we're going to talk about, he might even be ruling over stuff. But okay. The Holy Spirit puts into our hearts the cry of Abba Father... If you could leave here today with that cry on your lips, if you could leave there with that deep cry in your heart, you would be full of joy and peace for the rest of your lives. That's pretty good, isn't it? And you wouldn't have this longing and this drive which can never be fulfilled by endless stuff, whatever it is, that promises to find your identity. And your hearts would be melted from hardness to hearts of flesh. And all your fears would be melted by this cry that the Holy Spirit brings. Abba, Father. 
And therefore, we are heirs. If we're children, we're heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. Heirs to what? Heirs to his character for a start. You start looking like your father. You start acting like your father. We are partakers, Peter says, of the divine nature. That's the character of God becomes our character. And we have the mind of Christ. That's what that passage about 1 Corinthians 2 finishes. The mind of Christ. Heirs to the life of God. And, and we actually rule over this world under him. Under him. And we actually like that. Because he's not just our boss. He's father. We actually, we actually love his rulership over us. And so we're content not to be the top of the pile. Isn't that cool? We're heirs of God. We aren't God. And we'll inherit his creation as his beloved children. So, now we're just going to walk around a bit. You're all staying awake. This is really good stuff. I've heard people call God Daddy. It's a bit weird, I reckon. It does, it's one little aspect of fatherhood, isn't it? It, 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 it lacks something. Um, what's God's fatherhood really like? Well, I, I, I want to take three, three aspects. Number one, he's a creator. Sorry for those Bible studies the other night. We went through this. He's a creator. Secondly, he's king. And thirdly, he's father. Now, these aren't, they're, they're separate things, but they're all together, of course. They're all one. Okay. As the creator, he made everything. Yep. Yep. And by definition, if he made you, your purpose and meaning must flow from him. It can't come from anywhere else, can it? I used this example the other night. If I made a lawnmower, because I'm pretty smart, and I got four wheels and put them together, made an axle, put a motor on top, put some blades underneath, and I said, and away you go, start the first time. That's because I made it. A good lawnmower. I made this lawnmower. And then Heather came along and she says, I'm going to use that for a boat. And she launches it at the boat ramp. Thanks, Heather. Um, it's actually not what it's made for. It's probably not going to be a very good boat. Okay. That's basic. That's stupid, right? If your definition comes from the from God the Father as to who you are, then you don't get to define who you are. You are defined by him. That's basic stuff. Because he is the creator, we are creatures. Yep. And we can only understand ourselves, but you see, really to see our creaturehood, we've got to see it, uh, and this is just quick, we've got to understand who we are, we've got to see God created Adam and Eve. We've got to see the fall. We've got to see what sin looked like. We've got to see the redemption that Jesus brought. And then we've got to see the new creation where it's all sorted out. Because it's in that big scheme that we actually get who we are. Because it's in that big scheme that we get who God is. And then we get his purpose for all of creation. But that's not the story. Number two, he's the king. What does the king do? He rules. What over? Everything. What, everything? Yeah, everything. What does God rule over? 
everything. Yep. What does that famous theologian Colin Buchanan say? God never says oops. <laughs> now that's hard for us to understand actually. He is actively ruling over every part of your life and he's holding this universe together. So he is the creator, he is the king, and he is father. So it's not just he is ruling over stuff scientifically, he is ruling over stuff as father. It's, it's, it's not just that he's created stuff and, and set it going He's doing this as father. He is fathering. His plan and his power are used in pure love for his children to be in a relationship of life-giving warmth and love with him. And we long to be fathered. We long for a father. If we are going to know our value... If we're going to know our purpose, it is a relational value. It's not just functional. Okay? You're not machines, you're not robots just put to work. You are children. Okay? You can't know fatherhood without sonship, without knowing Jesus, the son. Because it's from him that we know what it is to be children. And we can't know it without the Spirit. We can't know anything without the Spirit. So we receive the Holy Spirit who introduces us to Jesus, the Saviour, and that's often the opening point of Christianity. The Holy Spirit reveals to us that Jesus is our Saviour. That's where we become a Christian. He died to save us. And then we get to know Him and, 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 and He is the Son and then we call these brothers and sisters and then we realise we're adopted into a family and we hear these words that... The father says to Jesus, this is my son in whom I delight. And we long to hear those words of ourselves. This is my son, this is my daughter in whom I delight, says God the Father. Now, I know we've known a lot of people over the years and uh, a lot, some, I don't want to tell any individual stories, but children who long to hear this word from their parents, uh, I'm proud of you. You know, some, you know, and that's not really the same, actually, because sometimes what is meant by that is, I'm proud of what you've done. It's about achievement, isn't it? But you see, at his baptism, before Jesus had really done any of his work of ministry, he hears these words, "You are my dear son, in whom I delight." Not based uh, now. If we could understand this. We can hear that from God. This is my son. This is my daughter in whom I delight. Not based on the things you've done. Not based on your achievements or reaching the level or being personally holy. But based on the work of Christ, the son, who we're drawn into. Based on his work. Can you get that? We don't need to hear the words, I'm proud of you. How about the word, I delight in you. In you I'm well pleased. So the revelation of the Spirit shows the sonship of Jesus and and, and draws us into that and we can hear that for ourselves. Don't hear that as knowledge. Hear that. Can you believe it? God the Father says, here is my dear son, daughter, whom I delight in. Because of Jesus. How about that? 
And then, and, and Jesus himself, uh, it says in Hebrews 2.13, Here I am and the children God has bought me, has given me. The children, us, the family, brought along with Jesus, introduced to the Father. There is, and, and there's no greater gift, I'm going to say it again, I've said it a number of times, than to know God is your Father. He, you know, we'd say, God, uh, Jesus is the way, the truth and the life, the only way to God. Yeah, that's not what the verse says. Do you know what the verse says? I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We don't just got a God. That's good English. We have God, a Father. And Jesus introduces us to the Father. He's the way, he's the way to the Father. The Holy Spirit reveals that. He takes the deep truth of God. And uh, the Holy Spirit's called the Spirit of the Father. And the Holy Spirit's called the Spirit of the Son. Galatians 4.6 says, Because you are his sons, God sent his Spirit, sorry, sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out our Father. Same as what we've just heard there, but he, God sent the Spirit. Because you see, this was the plan of the Father from the beginning. So I started by saying, the first thing happened, the Spirit comes to you, you know Jesus, Saviour. Well, that was the Father's plan. And you finish up by knowing his Father because there's only one God, three persons, and he only has one will, and his will is wonderful. Okay. Spirit does all this. Not all people are God's children. Do you know that? Actually, it's, it'd be nice to say all people are children of God, but we are born again into a family from not being in a family. Okay? But it's good to know that God has planned for rebellious, sinful humans through the work of the Spirit to be redeemed and glorified and become children of God. I'll say it again. Those he predestined, he called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Now, you might get worried about that and think, but what about... It's like, now understand, he's the God of grace. He's the God who's on about calling people into his family. Okay, how am I going? You still staying awake? It's a big topic. I'm glad I only did three verses. I just want to say this. All of us come from, I said, various dysfunctions, various, uh, often Christian words, now they use this word brokenness. It's like I'm a bit busted. There's something wrong. We need healing. And the healing that comes from knowing God as Father is a wonderful thing. Because you see, our brokenness means there's a fracturedness, a confusion, a frustration, and a total inability to get things right or to bring things back to right. And the Spirit brings us divine fatherhood as a revelation, and this revelation brings healing, anger, and bitterness, and deep pain, and regret, and darkness of spirit, and unforgiveness for abuse, and real things that have gone wrong. And the healing comes when we realise, okay, this person in my life has hurt me, but my life, and my identity, and my reality is not relying on that person, it's relying on the Father. And so that is a sub-issue. I know him. 
when we know that we can live as true men and women and we don't need emotional props because we know the one who created us, who rules over us and with our Father. It is a gift. I've got to stop talking. I've been going on too long. But understand this. Know God as your Father. If you don't, pray. Ask to be revealed. And I'm going to pray for that now. Father, we long to know you in the purity of this relationship that we've been talking about today. To know you as the Father. And I pray that you would send your Spirit on us. That we might know that. And that you would set us free. Set us free to live as your children. To live in the purity of being your children. To live in the fullness, the emotional glory, the relational glory. It is to be your children. Father, expose our idols that we might put them aside. And just live in the simplicity of trusting in you. And having you at the centre of everything. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.